So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Smashing Security, Episode 004. You don't mess with Brian Krebs, with Carol Terrio, Vanya Schweitzer and Graham Cooley. Hello, 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 and welcome to another Smashing Security. It's the 19th of January 2017. This is episode four of, uh, what did I call it? Smashing <laughs> Security. Did I call it something differently with just then? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really Already sure. Just... What happened? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure why you can't remember it's four. It's not like it's 480, is it? <laughs> I, was, I was thinking for a well, second. When you reach certain age, it's a bit difficult to remember. Three, four... Funny what that you know? should say that, Vanya, because a little birdie told me that you've got maybe a special day of the year coming up very, very soon. I won't comment anything. <laughs> no, there is a birthday that's around this time. And uh, Vanya, I have your birthday present here. Really? No. Yes, look. Ooh. And I'm thinking I should maybe open it on air. Could you if describe it? Those people who are listening, rather than no, 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 no. Give us a commentary. Yes, well, we haven't opened it yet, right? So, Vanya, we could there open it on something. air. Come on. So, we're going to do this, okay? I'm going to do it on your behalf. I'm going to take your hands in your hands. Okay, opening. Now, I haven't seen it. I ordered this for you in person, and they sent it to me by mail. Okay? Okay. T shirt. The t shirt. Okay. And I'm unfolding. It's a dark gray. Look. And it has a yellow the gold. It's it's gorgeous, isn't it? I got one for me too, but mine's in red. Yep, it's it it goes well with my uh, whatever zodiac sign of zodiac. Oh, does it? Yeah. Anyway, there you are. I will send that to you. Happy birthday! Thank you very much. It's great. I love it. How old are you now? Like fifty? Let's say below (laughs) seventy. Which All is right. uh, pretty obvious. Well, well, well done, guys. Uh, nice one, Carol, and congratulations to our very own Greybeard, who is celebrating his birthday <laughs> of indeterminate age. Round about, maybe around now. We're not going to be specific because this is a security podcast, of course. And number one topic that we're going to discuss with you today is to do, of course, with security, and it's to do with a piece of ransomware, a piece of ransomware called Spora. Uh, which has been spotted by computer security researchers, which is doing something 
rather different from the traditional ransomware. It's not just asking you to pay so many bitcoins to get all of your files back. It's giving you other options as well. In fact, the guys over at Bleeping Computer, they described it as one of the most sophisticated payment sites they'd ever seen ransomware authors use. And that's because it gives you different options. So yes, you can restore your files. If you want to decrypt all of your files, it works out roundabout at the moment to about $79. But maybe you want reassurance that they're capable of decrypting your files. We can get two files returned to you for free. If you just want one particular file, that's going to cost you $30. But then it gets really interesting because you can buy immunity, it says. If you want to avoid being infected by any future version of the Spora ransomware, they are prepared to sell you that for $50. It's quite a neat little setup, really. I think that it feels like the ransomware authors have thought about all the different possibilities and permutations. And maybe what's happening now is they're thinking more and more, well, we know people are beginning to back up their systems, and some people do have ways of recovering. But it's such, such an inconvenience, isn't it? Sometimes, maybe, people might think, oh, I'm such a palaver restoring for my backup, or my backup's two weeks old, or whatever the problem is. Maybe there is still a way to crowbar money even out of those guys uh, and maybe avoid infections in the future as well. Of course, if you purchase <laughs> immunity for this piece of ransomware, it's no guarantee it's going to protect you from other ransomware going into the future as well. Do you want to take a breath? Of course. I mean, any, any, restore, any restore is pretty difficult. There are a couple of other interesting things about this particular ransomware. One is that it actually takes... Um, it, 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 as it encrypts your drive, it basically records how many different files or type, type, file types have been uh, encrypted. And based on that, it seems that it actually offers how much money you need to pay to restore your files, which, which seems to be like if you have a, a lot of documents, you'll have to pay more. If you have a smaller oh. number of documents, you have to pay less, which is it's very not by It's not by file type, though. No, well, it, look, it well. looks at the certain file types and then it sends a particular string uh, when you send, because the way it works, it, it doesn't really require uh, like a command control server to be online. Yes. You okay. don't need to be connected to internet to actually encrypt the whole drive, but it creates a file with a .key extension and within that file, it basically there's some additional information about what, what happened when the drive was encrypted. Huh. I wonder and when if you upload that to encrypt to decrypt your files, then then when the guys can actually decide, there, there can be a script on right. the, on the client on the server side that says, well, if you had hundred documents, then it's fifty bucks. If you had two more, I, I'm wondering though. I mean, I'm guessing most uh, companies, particularly and even users, would have a lot more than hundred files, right? <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, but I mean, the next step is probably to take it to, to see what are the file names and then based on yeah. the kind of keywords in the file names or maybe even the content you, you, you go with, oh, this might be, you know, very important. Therefore, people will be willing to pay more for to having their files uh, decrypted. And the fact of the matter is that there's no point asking a home user for $10,000 for the right. restoration of their files, right? But if they manage to encrypt a large number of files, chances are that could be a corporation, for instance. It could be that they've infected. Uh, and those are people you can ask that money for. The other interesting thing I thought about this Spora ransomware is the way in which it spreads, because it has worm-like characteristics. It can spread by USB sticks, for instance. Mm. And, you know, it seems like a real determined effort here to infect as many computers as possible. 
um, but not necessarily using the traditional techniques to do it. And it's interesting, the whole restore two files for free, that must be in response to a number of, of pieces of ransomware last year that basically you know, locked your files, but then actually didn't decrypt them or didn't have the facilities to decrypt them even after they received payment from the, from the victim. Right. So if you've been disappointed by previous ransomware infections where you didn't get your money's worth there and you didn't get exactly, your files back, exactly. don't worry, we're the professionals. Um, we can we can get your files back this way, but there's been. I think it's quite common that they, they allow you to upload one or two files to show that they can actually <clears throat> decrypt the files. Right. Yeah. And they right. have the. But also, this whole uh, buying immunity feels a bit like mafioso protection money, a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Give us money, yeah. otherwise we're going to be back with the baseball bats. All right. I'm so embarrassed being North American hearing you do that. That wasn't North American. He was well, Welsh. With, with viruses and with malware, it's the typical scenario is actually is completely different. They don't, you don't pay. I mean, most of the malware is trying to remove all the other malware families from the computer only to make sure they have the access to the system, while this is a completely different thing. If you pay, so there's obviously value in, um, well, not being infected by any piece of malware. But it's interesting That's how why we have every software. It's interesting, I think, how ransomware is evolving, though. They are using different tricks to try and maximize the amount of money. Uh, we saw, for instance, last month the popcorn time ransomware, which it says, yes, you can pay normal sort of let's do business that way. But it also says we well, can be a bit nasty if you like. If you spread some affiliate links for us and manage to infect other people and get them to pay up, of course then you can get your files decrypted for free. So you're being recruited into the ransomware gang. And we've seen this ransomware as a service and affiliate schemes before, but now they're sort of offering it in a way to it's the victims. crowdsourcing ransomware. It's astonishing. I, I, you know, I wonder where this is going to end. Um, I, I, I and imagine. of course, last week we talked about, uh, talked about databases being potentially encrypted. And I actually read this week that not just MongoDB, but CouchDB, and Hadoop and some other database management system typically used it for, for big data products or big data projects uh, have been affected in a similar way. So, mm -hmm. Right. And, and if a corporate database is hijacked, if you haven't got a proper recovery mechanism for getting that data back, you may well be prepared to pay a large, large amount of money um, in order to get your business back up and running again. So... Uh, Watch out for Spora, people. And there's some good articles from the likes of G-Data and Bleeping Computer if you want to know more about that. Daniel, what's caught your eye? Well, I think, for me at least, the most interesting story of this week's uh, was by, you know, done by Brian Krebs, which he did another great piece on um, Mirai botnet and who stands, who's the real identity of the person who stands behind the Mirai botnet. So just to kind of remind everybody, Mirai botnet uh, became pretty famous in September when it launched a huge amount of service attacks on, on Brian Krebs's website. And pretty, like a, 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 about a month after that, they, they also started a, a big denial of service uh, attack on a DNS provider called Dean. Um, and the Dean was also used by many sites like PayPal, uh, Spotify. There are actually quite a lot of services on US East Coast which are affected. Um, so um, the interesting thing about the Mariah botnet is, is, is one of those Internet of Things botnets. Uh, it tries to find vulnerable uh, 
personal like video cameras and routers and routers wow. um, and infects it and then you know is used to launch like denial of service attacks uh, on any kind of server so the, the, the story that was published this uh, by Brian Krebs today I think um, or the day before maybe it was yesterday uh, is around who was the creator of right that and it turns out it, it turns out that the creators of, of botnet actually own the company uh, that's an anti-denial of service attack company um, and no it's kind of, kind of very weird um, no way so Young guys who are obviously pretty skillful in doing what they're doing, they started as um, many kids do. They uh, set up their own Minecraft server, but mm-hmm. it's often that when you set up your own Minecraft server, that the server comes under denial of service attacks, and they saw there is a niche, and they started providing protection against the denials of service attacks for Minecraft servers. Um, so they started doing DDoS attacks. Uh, on other servers so that um, they can start basically using their own uh, protection, which is kind of Wow. Weird. And it, it's extraordinary reading Brian's report. And Brian Krebs has always been an incredible reporter on the cybercrime yeah. front, and everyone should follow his blog and uh, see what he's talking about. He clearly put an enormous amount of effort over many months investigating this particular group, especially after he himself was attacked. I, I'd really recommend you go and read it. Um, but I, it was extraordinary to me just how much money these Minecraft servers are bringing in. It is tens of thousands of dollars, like, you know, every week. Um, it's which astonishing. Is, yeah. it, absolutely astonishing. Uh, so no wonder that there's such strong competition between these servers and that some of them might actually be launching attacks against each other. It, it's mind-boggling to me that these, this crazy, incredible phenomena, which is, Minecraft, you know, these 8-bit sort of blocky graphics and all the rest of it. And I understand it because I've got a five-year-old son who's obsessed with watching Minecraft videos. It's astonishing to me just how obsessive people get about it and just how much money there is behind this game and the sort of companies which are springing up in order to support the players of this game, like anti-DDoS servers. Okay, okay, but can we just go off piece for you for a second? Yeah. So my niece, who's eight loves minecraft as well you know and we often play together i really don't get it i don't no, get it i, I try I get to get it, it but I, I really don't understand thinking of how amazing graphics are today why this simple like how does it work it's it's boggles well, mind. I, I, don't, I don't get it but then i don't get teletubbies either so but isn't it <laughs> cruel isn't it like lego Right, Lego is a game which has been around for I don't know a toy which's been around for maybe fifty years. I'm not sure, but Lego is sort of <laughs> like for those of you out there who haven't heard about Lego, Graham's going <laughs> to. I'm not going to explain like what Lego you. is. <laughs> together, but I'm going to tell you it's bloody brilliant, right? And I think Minecraft is basically Lego because you have that ability to build buildings and incredible worlds in Minecraft, okay. and then go exploring but, them. But she doesn't like Lego. Just saying. Doesn't like Lego. Her brother does. She doesn't like it. Well, anyway. maybe she, maybe she doesn't like it because her brother likes it. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, okay. Great Do, piece of research up? and uh, yeah, well, well yes. worth to read. Yeah, agree. Really fascinating agree. story. And allegedly, the guy who's behind it is is now um, he ran away from the law enforcement agencies and he's hiding somewhere in some unknown country. 
Um, so he obviously realized that his real identity was uh, discovered. You don't mess with Brian Krebs. No one should know that. <laughs> and also, be very careful. That's, the title, that's our title of our show. <laughs> yeah, okay. But, you know, it, it, also, you've got to be really careful about the information which you leave about yourself online. What, one of the things which has helped piece together this story has been the reuse of usernames and interest in anime and, and, and things like that. Sorry, did I say anime? anime? But it's, it's things like that oh, yeah. which begin to piece together personalities. And you're going to say, oh, okay, interesting that he's described his interest in programming languages here, and it's identical to this guy here. And the pieces of the jigsaw begin to go together, a bit yeah. like Lego. The article shows just how difficult it is to connect all the dots and actually find out. And it's also very difficult to hide, I mean, in the end. Yeah. If, you're, if, you're, if you keep reusing things on the internet, sooner or later, people will connect the dots. And there are tools and, you know, there are ways of doing it. Mm. So, Crow, what caught your eye? Um, so... You know, let's think for a second about all the services we depend upon at work, you know, so you've got your, or even at school, right? You've got your email, your data storage, websites, forums, all these kind of services that you have available that you depend on. And most companies or organizations are going to block um, or protect them from outside attack, okay? That we take that for granted. Question is whether people are protecting these services from inside attacks. So this, uh, I take the story, I saw, I saw the story on the register this morning. So this is about an IT admin named Triana Williams, who was fired from a US-based online college called the American College of Education, or ACE. Now, what led to his dismissal is kind of complicated, and there's complaints and lawsuits on both sides. So I would recommend, if you guys want to read about it, Google his name, you'll find it. There's a number of articles in the register, NBC News, USA Today, etc. The upshot that I wanted to focus on, though, is that Mr. Williams left his job and he was not happy about being forced to leave his job. So as he leaves, he basically ends up taking the keys to the college's Google email kingdom. Okay, so basically it's an online college. People have accounts on this Google service and email account. Two thousand students. Turns out the laptop is the only place that the password was auto saved. Whether he knew the actual password or not is up to for debate, according to what I've read. You know, no, I, I, there's evidence on both sides. Um, but that was the only place. Now, so he's dismissed. You have someone who's come in and been the administrator. He is using Google. Everything's working fine. And then Google says, put in your password, please. And they attempt a password and it blocks them. They try again and they eventually get locked out of Google. So what do they do? They contact Google. Google says, sorry, can't help you. This is in Mr. Williams' personal email address. That's the admin for this Google account. So, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Now, I think, so, okay. So, first thing is, you know, do, how many companies are actually exposed to this? And I think we could basically admit, at least me and one person on this, on this podcast, admit to using personal addresses for work accounts simply because it's easier. You know, when, so I have done that in the past, but I've never actually been an IT admin responsible for all of email. So I don't know. Are you surprised by this, guys? Do you think it's surprising that he would have ended up using his personal email address as the admin for the Google or that he didn't get caught, that no one at the school knew? I, I don't think it's surprising. I, I'm sure this yeah. goes on all the time. And I think typically schools and colleges don't have an enormous amount of resource in terms of IT security. And there's not going to be an awful lot of oversight if he was a. He, I mean, he was 
in the IT department, I imagine there may not have been very many people above him. And so, you know, he was just doing his job, wasn't he, as far as he's concerned and using his... Yeah, I think so, so he used his personal email address to set up basically the corporation, the organizations. I don't think he set up. I think, um, yes, but he, yes, he basically was basically assigned the admin, pa- the password. Right. And what's even more interesting is that, of course, after they failed with Google, that Google wouldn't give them access. They contacted Mr. Williams. But of course, I don't think they were on the best of terms. And he said he'd be happy, this is a quote from Richard, he'd be happy to unlock the Google email account if, if, they, if the, ACE, you know, the ACE gave him 200K to settle his dispute over the termination of his employment. So that is really the reason why I chose the story, because is that a kind of insider ransomware attack, basically holding the keys to the kingdom for ransom? Hmm. Certainly some well, people might think it's a little bit like extortion, mightn't they? Right. Um, even if he even if he does have a case. And I can understand he might feel that he's miffed and maybe that he hadn't been given the compensation he was expecting when he leaves. But 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 I heard he he did. Re- it was on his work laptop. Right. So he could have returned the work laptop. Yeah. Right. He did return the work laptop, okay. but he wiped it completely before he returned it. So first, that's what they wanted. They wanted the laptop back so they could actually access the account. Turned out he returned it white. Now, part of me kind of thinks... Which, which is one of the best security yes, passes right? to wipe your right? laptop when you return, yeah. of course. Right? Um, so but did he have knowledge or was he doing this to be like to stir the pot? I don't know. So the, the, what, the reason I wanted to bring this up is I, th- I suspect there's a number of organizations that are probably in this situation, whether it is on, you know, someone has a kind of uh, malicious intent or, you know, being a bit, or someone's trying to do it just because it's easier for them or because they don't know better, right? So a way to basically you don't want to make, you want to make sure that no one has the keys to the, can- uh, you know, to the kingdom. So there's a few things. This is from Cyberry IT. It's a great free security training course. You can learn everything there if you take time. There's lots of great information. But the three good tips I grabbed from them is introduce job rotation in the company. So make sure that, you know, once someone has like maybe done two months or four months or six months in one role, you move them to another role. And that way it stops proprietary behavior over services or over apps or over particular projects. Mandatory vacations. This is really interesting. So you basically effectively ban people from using email, work email, or services or network whilst they're on holiday. And that way things can bubble up if there's problems, because if they're not there, you should have no kind of stop, stop, no, no person should be, you know, stop everything from working. Oh, that's clever. So that's a good way of, yeah. it's, it's almost like a dress rehearsal for if you did get run over by a bus, or if you did get inspired <laughs> by the company, we'll find out the problem now, when you're on holiday in Tenerife, right. but you'll be back in a week or so, and then we can that's yeah that's yeah yeah so go ahead if you if you if you have somebody internally who's doing something you know um illegal in the company then it's quite possible that if you stop their access this practice will also stop so you will be able to see you know there's some kind of anomaly or that Mm -hmm. some kind of anomaly stop and you know uh, you'll find out who is doing something which is you know yeah the concept that was presented by the way they put it in Cyberary is basically everybody should be able to leave the office for five days without undue impact to the business. So I think that makes a lot of sense. 
Um, and the other thing is obviously segregating roles and duties. So for example, if you had an uber dupe, you know, super, super huge password that you didn't want any one individual to know, you could effectively split it between two people. And, you know, one would know 10 characters, the other person would know the other 10 characters. So there's different ways you can do that so that no one has access to the whole picture without informing or colluding with someone else in the, you know, in the organization. Oh, it sounds a little bit like launching nukes from the yeah, south. nuclear missile, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. But there's something to be said. If you really value something, right? If this if this asset is business critical, doesn't it make sense to do what you can to protect it? Mm. Absolutely. I'll leave you on that rhetorical question. For for smaller companies, it's it's much more difficult to do because for like some critical roles, such as like IT admin, uh, you can only have one or two people. So you need to be able to divide all the duties between two of them, which is most of the time won't be possible. In well, bigger like AC- companies, it's going to be easier. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think maybe you're right. This is more of a medium to large business, um, you know, So you it's know, like um, you shouldn't be a network, network administrator and you shouldn't be the same guy who monitors the logs of what happened. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, some interesting food for thought there. And if anyone else has got some ideas on how to deal with those sort of situations, maybe it's happening inside your own organizations, do leave us a comment uh, or let us know. You can tweet us at smashing security. That's smash in without a G security. Um, well, we're heading towards the close of the show. But before we do that, we've got some feedback on our previous episode. If you missed it, we were chatting about Alexa, ordering things you might not want, uh, how people how the people who were inside security companies protect us from abusive images online and how some of them are suffering from PTSD. Very sad story that. And also, of course, as Daniel already mentioned, MongoDB databases being under attack. Um, but we had some great feedback uh, this uh, week, which was great from people. Thank you very much. I'll start off with one here. We've got one from Abdul Riemann, who says on YouTube, Hey guys, awesome show. I'm really enjoying the content. I was just wondering, have you thought about making the presentation more more professional, Abdul? More professional than this? How dare you? Uh, Using OBS or similar software. I've used it in the past for Twitch, but it could definitely work for this with a nice overlay better. It could make it 10 times better. Um, Well, (laughs) Maybe he doesn't mean professional. Maybe he means better quality, right? We don't want to be too professional. There's a lot of corporate people. I don't think we could be. I don't think we could be too <laughs> professional, Karar. I don't think we have to worry too much about that. Um, but it, it would always be nice to have better video and audio quality, and it's something we're keen to do. Um, regarding OBS, we did actually, do you remember in the rehearsals before Christmas, we did play around with OBS a little bit, um, although we didn't yeah. publish anything, and um, our computers... It almost worked. It, almost, it so almost worked, but not quite. Um, and it, it gave the image of us attempting to be slick and failing them massively, whereas maybe we're more comfortable um, just not even attempting to be slick. So uh, so <laughs> maybe in the future, if we can work it out, if anyone's got any tips on that, we'd love to hear them. Um, Daniel Kroll, do you want to take the next piece of well, feedback? I, I love the next comment. Actually, Paul Mark says, another doll's house ordered. Thanks, guys. Um, so, you know, we talked about Alexa and how you should secure it. And obviously, as we were speaking, Paul got another dollhouse. When you say we were speaking, Vanya, it was specifically you who ordered the doll's house during the podcast. I just want to point that out to everybody. If they're trying to do uh, it. Well, I do apologize for that. And I hope that I'm going to be um, 
contacted by the manufacturer of the dollhouse sooner or later to thank <laughs> me for the contribution to their revenue. Maybe we can be sponsored by them. Wouldn't that be terrific? I've got one here from AKW144 saying, love the concept, well delivered, look forward to its release every Thursday. So no pressure that we get this out every Thursday. It's yeah. good. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm not, so far, so good. I'm not sure I'll be able to do it next Thursday. I'm doing a uh, talk in London. I'll try and get back in time. Otherwise, we might have to do it on the Wednesday or Friday. But uh, we can chat about that off air, uh, maybe instead. Yep. Steve Gilbert on Twitter says, nicely done. Fun podcast. Glad I listened to it. Thanks for putting it out there. Cheers from Seattle. Thank you, Steve. Great to know that you're listening. And there's one more piece from... NY Lonza girl who said these three are to computer security what Top Gear is to the motoring. World. Oh, I haven't seen this. You, one. you are so Jeremy Clarkson. I don't. Know. Well, I was trying to work this out actually. Oh, when I, well, he's when not I on this. Top Gear anymore, is he? Isn't no, Top they're, Gear they're, they're oh, yeah. uh, the Grand Tour? But everyone calls it Top Gear still, don't they? Because it's basically the same show. Um, so if we if it, if we were Top Gear, Kroll, I think you would be that little hamster guy right thanks i think you'd be well do you want to be the one of the other two i'll, no. I'll be the big guy not the, not the clarkson jeremy grammy oh. you'll be the clarkson do i have to I am, be clarkson i am very unfamiliar all i know is that there, i don't even know anything about top gear so there you are okay so, so i'm the one who vanya has said is a little bit racist well that's nice isn't it um well we do have big news everybody and maybe some of you already know this but since we last issued an episode of Smashing Security, um, we have debuted on iTunes. Yes, we've launched ourselves as an audio podcast, not just on iTunes, but on Google Play Music, Stitcher, Overcast, other podcast apps are available. Go searching for us um, if you want to hear us. Please do check us out, subscribe, and leave a review on iTunes. It really makes a huge difference. Um, I've been asking everybody to leave reviews. Um, I've been cornering wife family dog telling them for goodness sake frankly the response has been disappointing i don't know how it's been for you guys have you been similarly haranguing people um absolutely yes yes we have we have <laughs> well we have but i don't think we need to harass anyone i think i think people are going to leave comments if they like it and that's what matters oh you're, you're just you're just wonderful carol aren't you it is so nice. Well, I, I'm preparing to write a review, uh, but I'll just say that this is a review for Graham and Carol, not not on myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Graham and Carol say it it was all right, but to be honest, that yeah. Banya guy was the best. It's going to be we'll we'll be able to recognise which one you write, Banya. But anyway, uh, welcome to all of our new listeners uh, to the audio version. If you haven't yet checked it out, go to smashingsecurity.com and you can find links to all the relevant places including itunes up there um well that just about wraps it up uh thanks for tuning in once again uh, if you like the show tell your friends maybe follow us on twitter at smash in i n security uh smashing without a g um and uh, we will try and keep you informed as to the latest computer story news and stuff any last words bro yeah, I promise everyone out there that I'll ensure that his opening and closing statements are much shorter for future podcasts. That's a solemn promise. Well, thank you very much, Richard Hammond, for that comment. And uh, <laughs> on that bombshell, uh, good night. Bye. Bye.